0: This is Micah, chapter 7, verses 18, 19, and 20. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity, overlooking transgression for the remnant of his heritage? He will not retain his anger forever because he delights in mercy. He will again have compassion on us. He will subdue our iniquities and you will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You will extend truth to Jacob, mercy to Abraham, that you swore to our ancestors from the days of old. Thank you, Bix. Welcome. This is quite a different sight than it was if you were here on uh, Sunday night, right? Where would everybody go? Disappeared, so... Yeah, be sure to hear, get here early on Tuesday for Yom Kippur, because it really was uh, just about standing room only. So you got to get real personal and meet people closely if you if you come to the High uh, Holiday Services, High Holiday Services. So um, if you've been with us lately in this past 30 to 40 days, either at services or at Bible study, you know that the... Uh, Topic of the day, or topic of the of the month, the weeks has been repentance, um, in preparation for the for the the coming uh, Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. The idea being that you want to make sure that you've got yourself right with the Lord. Uh, this is the traditional view, so that you can get your name in the in the book of life on Tuesday. So mark that on your calendar. You want to get in the book of life on Tuesday before sundown. That's uh, that's what you want to do. But obviously we. You know, we, we don't necessarily adhere to that thought, but that's the traditional view of, of what this time is all about, this time of, of just considering uh, repentance and getting right with the Lord. But we also talked about uh, you know, some of the, the roadblocks to that, some of the things that, that kind of give us pause when, when, we, when we look at that topic, uh, you know, one of them being that when, when you think about repenting and needing to repent... You're pretty much telling the world that you know I'm a worm, I'm no good, and, and and all that kind of stuff, and so that's that's one of the ideas that you think you know you're defective, and you put yourself at risk by saying that you're in need of repentance. Um, but as I pointed out, pointed out a few weeks ago, um, prior to Ted Pierce, we talked, we looked at the life of uh, one of the wicked kings of Judah, Manasseh, and just how bad he was, really unparalleled, quite frankly. Yet he turned, uh, he, he got turned around, and that the key to all that was was understanding um, who it was that, that you're praying to. That was really the, one of the, the big keys to repentance. And by understanding God, and we look looking at his attributes, and those are the things that we've, we've been looking at. Um, who is this God? Who would we be repenting to? When we look at that, that kind of takes, uh, I don't want to say he takes the sting out of it, but that kind of helps us. That removes our fear of being humiliated when we come in, a, in, a, in an attitude of Humility. Um, that we're not gonna, you know, we're gonna be received well when we realize who it is that we're that we're speaking with, who it is we're re- we're, re- we're talking to, with regard to repentance. And that's so that's repentance. That's turning towards God. That's acknowledging um, that you've fallen short with Him. Understanding that without a right, right relationship uh, with Him, um, that you've got nothing. Now that's difficult enough on its own to kind of work through that topic of repentance. And so today, you know, Chaim actually. Terms that as you know the idea of uh, it, when, when you think about what am I going to study when you open up the Bible uh, Promise Book as he says you know you're looking for all these the different things to study and you want to study all the the nice fluffy things and when it comes to repentance you know it's like it's like taking a handful of sawdust and you know munching on it for for lunch or something it's about that appetizing it's that exciting to to study about you know what it means to repent but I think that a, a strong second. To that topic in terms of, of difficulty in a sense, if not neck and neck is is what we 're talking about today and you 've heard it a few times uh, and that 's the topic of forgiveness so second to repentance is forgiveness and that 's the theme of Shabbat Shuva you heard Michael mention that that this is Shabbat Shuva and if it 's the first you 've heard of that' I'll, you know you may you may wonder what that 's about and Michael mentioned from a time frame, it's the, it's the Shabbat that falls between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. It always does. Think about it, it's 10 days there, so it's always going to be one Shabbat, and that's the Shabbat of return. You know that we have we have a Torah readings every week, and we also have what's called Haftorah readings, which we don't read them here, but they are accompanying, usually they're linked in some way thematically with the Torah portion, and there's something from the other parts of the Hebrew Bible, not the Torah specifically, but the prophets or the writings. Um, this, this particular Shabbat, though, there are several readings that can be read from the, ha- from the Haftorah portion that are not necessarily thematically linked with what Dr. Dallaire spoke about from Deuteronomy 31. Um, but one of those is from the book of Hosea. It's actually, I think, in the back of the bulletin. It's, it's one of the quotes uh, from Hosea at the very end of the Torah tidbits. But anyways, at the beginning of that, uh, I think it's Hosea 14 in in verse 2, in Hebrew at least, it says, turn to the Lord, or return to the Lord your God, he'll return to you. That's where the the idea of Shabbat shuvah, because that word means to turn. It's the root word, the same root where we get the word repentance, teshuvah. Different word, okay? It's a noun versus a a verb, but that's where where the, the idea of Shabbat shuvah comes from. And uh, several things happen between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, but but on Shabbat Shuvah, as we're, as we're entering into Yom Kippur on Tuesday, um, traditionally this is a this is a real time, a real push to make a deliberate move towards rectifying the interpersonal relationships. We talk about repentance in terms of with God. This is really the time that, you know, traditionally, if you have uh, something, some issue with somebody, that that's the time. To, to mend that relationship with other people. And that's, that's how it involves forgiveness. That's what forgiveness is about. And that's going to be kind of the focus of what, what, what I talk about today. And there are two sides to forgiveness, of course. There is the extending forgiveness, you know, when, when someone has wronged you or whatever. But there's also the side of needing to ask for forgiveness. Okay, I'm not going to delineate so much between the two, but when i when I mention forgiveness, I want you to be thinking about those two aspects. It's not just the extension of but it's also the requesting for forgiveness, and they each carry their own challenges when you think about them. I mean asking for forgiveness again requires you to be trusting somebody, but it also requires you to uh, have to admit maybe something that you've done wrong so those are the Those are the different pieces of forgiveness. the two sides. Of that coin, when it comes to forgiveness, asking and receiving, and again, both sides are equally equally difficult um, yet involved. Um, but whatever whichever side of the coin you might find yourself on now, later, sometime in the future, perhaps, whatever whatever uh, side of the coin you find yourself on, I believe that these verses from Micah um, could prove very helpful. These actually these verses from Micah also are part of the, the Haftar readings uh, for this for this Shabbat as well. Um, but I think they'll be helpful for us in the sense that they will um, hopefully stretch you stretch you in terms of thinking about what is possible in the area of forgiveness. What is even a possibility? Um, because I think you'll if you really think about it, it's pretty it's pretty difficult, pretty difficult thing. Um, and being stretched, I think, is necessary in order to, to make any gains in that area. Um, Because, you know, quite frankly, forgiving sins or transgressions or or we'll talk about some of these things that are mentioned in the text here, forgiving those kind of things or or dealing with that kind of stuff, um, it's just, it goes against human nature, you know? Even the very, not, not so much even the grave sins or offenses, but even the very little ones, which most likely, 90 plus percent of the time, those are the things that are actually keeping, you know keeping us out of harmony with each other. It's not some big offense like, he chopped my leg off or something like that. I mean, it's, quite frankly, it's usually little tiny things. And just those, even those little tiny things, let alone the big things, um, you know, those are, 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 it's not a, it's not a, not, it's contrary to human nature to, to, to do that, you know. Uh, so, but, but here's the thing, this is what God desires. And I want to get that across today when we look at what God's like, and I think this is what he desires as well. I've mentioned this before, um, but you know, as, a, as an earthly father, um, I mean, some of you have seen it. My kids run up, they, they hug my leg, oh, "I love you, all that kind of stuff, and it's great in the morning. And they say goodbye, and it takes you know ten minutes to say goodbye to everybody. Coming inside, say hello. Everybody loves me, and they hug me. That's wonderful. But as a father, I, I get even more joy and satisfaction out of watching them be nice to each other and doing good things to each other and helping each other. Um, and it's the same with God. You know, we can repent we can turn to him. But if we do that at the expense of of mending our relationships with one another and forgiving one another, then we're really missing the fuller picture of of what God is all about and what he wants. So it's important for us to take uh, this topic of forgiveness seriously. But again, it's extremely difficult, okay? Um, Dare I say impossible, quite frankly, in our eyes. So so looking at how God does it and looking at God's attitude towards forgiveness, I think, is, is helpful for us. And in fact, that's really exactly what Micah says here in the beginning of this chapter. As always, I had Bix read just a few verses, but quite frankly, this is really a message from a larger context of chapter 7 here in Micah. And uh, when, you, when you start off reading in Micah chapter 7, the big picture of Micah, Micah is prophesying to the people you know, of his time. This is a kind of a, a little bit prior to the time of Manasseh, yet coming off in the heels of a terrible king, Ahaz, and then a better king, Hezekiah, who did slip. But in any event, he's giving the picture of what things are looking like in society at the time, and they're pretty bleak and they're pretty bad. It's a time of, of universal corruption uh, in, in the land, in Israel. Chapter 7 begins with, with Micah describing it. He says, he says woe is me. I become like one who, after the summer fruit has been gathered, after the vintage has been gleaned, finds no cluster to eat. There's no first ripe fig for which I hunger. He wants something that he—it's that he, just not there. It's like when you—you know—you're you, thinking about that ice cream in the freezer, right? And you go home, someone has eaten it. You know, you feel very empty. You feel very empty, and something's missing. You know, you can feel that. He says the faithful have disappeared. He says the best—the best of the people—is like a briar you know the most upright person is just like a bunch of thorns it's pretty ugly he says at the end here in, in verse 5 he says put no trust in a friend have no confidence in a loved one the, the one you lie down with you know your your head in their in their bosom so to speak the one you embrace you know they're going to they're going to turn on you the son treats the father with contempt the, the mother or the daughter rises up against the mother there's no one to trust so he's painting a very bad situation here he says look this is a this is a bad situation and it's a bad situation created by people. These are all people problems. He's not talking about the land being flooded and the earth being scorched and so forth. It's talking about people. You can't trust anybody. Like I said a month ago, remember? People. They're the worst, right? <laughs> and this, is, this is the situation. It was a picture of, ba- of a bad situation created by people. There was no one and nothing left to trust. You ever felt like that before? Maybe. Like people in society have let you down. Like you don't uh, enjoy dealing with people anymore, because at that time I think when, when you when you when you're thinking that way, I think that forgiveness is probably the furthest thing from your mind. I think most likely. And the longer you live, at least in my, I can vouch for myself. I think the more you become can easily become cynical, you know, believing that there's no one and there's nothing worth investing in anymore. Uh, maybe it's family, maybe it's coworkers, maybe it's um, a political system that seems to be presenting equally poor choices, you know, possibly. (laughs) Equally disappointing options, maybe. I don't know. But here's the thing, again. If my my children were were just kind of spread out in my house playing separately and doing their own thing um, because they really couldn't get along with each other well, um, then I wouldn't be too happy as a father again. So as I said before, how children treat and respond to each other is important to a father, and therefore it's important to God as well. So Micah's response to all this, to all this this horrible situation here, if you look at verse 7, he says what I think we all should say and what we're going to do here in a minute. And he says, okay, this is all going on. He says, but as for me, I will look to the Lord, he says. I will look to the Lord. But as for me, I will look to the Lord. And then he goes on to describe what happens. And if you read the rest of the chapter Basically, the situation turns around, uh, and he says, well, it's going to turn around, he's prophesying that the situation, you know, people are going to be reconciled, and people are going to then turn to the Lord, and so forth. And that's what leads into these last three verses that uh, that Bix read today, verses 18 to 19. And they are the main focus that I'm going to spend the, the rest of our time on, primarily, because they're the, really, they are the example of just how big, I think Floyd said it earlier, uh... Just how big God's forgiveness is. This example, when you read these these verses, it shows us just how big His vision and His capacity for forgiveness is, and therefore, how big our view of forgiveness needs to be. No matter which side of that coin you find ourselves on, Um, these verses in Micah actually are are some of I don't know if you're familiar with. Maybe you've heard them before. I don't know. there's other verses in Micah chapter six, a little more popular about what does God desire of you to you know to walk to walk graciously and exhibit mercy and so forth. we're familiar with that. I don't know if you're familiar with these verses here or not. Uh, they echo a bit of of from Exodus, but um, we find here some of the most theologically rich passages, quite frankly, in all of scripture. Uh, some people call this uh, distilled theology, in other words, really pure, concentrated theology that depicts a picture of who God is in just these two verses. So it's pretty pretty compact, powerful stuff here. Um, these two verses are all-encompassing when it comes to the type of sin. I'll put that in quotation marks. I'm going to use finger quotes a lot, if that's okay. Keep Just be, be, be watching. I'll do, Mike, I'll say finger quotes when I'm doing finger quotes, okay? I'll say quote. Uh, so when it comes to, quote, sin... That we're going to experience in the world, it kind of it it, it covers them all. All the things that um, are likely going to cause offense to God, and all the things that are likely going to cause offense to one another. These are all the kind of things you're going to be dealing with, whether you're the one committing or whether you're the one receiving. Okay, these are all the the things right here. Um, There's three Hebrew words. A little bit of a little bit of teaching here for you, um, because in your translations, you're going to have three words in these two verses you're going to be variously translated. You're going, to see, you're going to have the word sin in there. You might have the word transgression in there. You might have the word iniquity in there. You might have the word wickedness in there. You might have something else too, I don't know. But in Hebrew, you've got avon, pesha, and chet. Uh, avon, pesha, and chet. And uh, just to give you a little little information here, because sometimes you might only see the word sin. Um, but avon is, is uh, often translated iniquity or guilt or sin it's that kind of general uh, wickedness or perversion it's activity that is crooked or wrong and you know it okay i'm not pointing at anyone in particular but but you, you know it it's intentional okay and then there's there's pesha which is you'll sometimes be translated transgression or rebellion and this is things that are the outright rebellion against god's standards that we see in the in the torah and then you've got het which is uh sometimes translated, again, sin. You can see some of the words are translated the same way, but they're different words. Sin or iniquity. And this is uh, uh, in an archery term. You know, archery, shooting arrows. And It's, it's kind of like the idea of missing the mark. Like I aimed, like when John Hoffer's hunting with a bow. I'm sure he's aiming one where, but it's just probably, who knows, whew, flying this way, I don't know. But you're aiming this way and it goes that way. He's probably going to shoot one at me and show me how accurate he is <laughs> at some point. So. But uh, it's you're aiming this way, but you hit hit somewhere else. That's the third one. But those are all the words you come across. And you see some overlap and variety with those things. But here's the thing. I don't want you to get all derailed trying to figure out, you know, what God's specific response to this particular word is. You know, okay, he says Pesha here and he says this is what he does with Pesha. Don't worry about that. I think the, the, the I wanted to make you aware that there are multiple words in there, but I also wanted to to make you aware that I believe the reason that they're there is this is just saying that this is covering all the type of stuff from A to Z. Okay? This is all, this just covers everything. This is why God's presenting them here. And this is why He takes all three of them. Other places, when you read about some of these sins, for example, the, the chet, there's an offering, the chatat, the sin or guilt offering, that's specifically mentioned in Leviticus. But here this is talking about all the kinds of stuff together. So don't get all confused trying to figure out, you know, what goes with this one or what have you. Basically, everything that you've done. Uh, everything that that has been done against God or against you it's all covered in these in these these verses here that's the point. So how does God deal with these things? what's the example that i i, I think he's setting for us here with regard to these offenses? Well first, if we follow the verses eighteen and uh, eighteen and nineteen first, it says that he pardons. Okay, he pardons sin or iniquity or transgression, whatever it might say there for you. He pardons. It might say that he carries, or it might say that he bears, or that he lifts these things. And that's exactly what it says. It says that he lifts or bears them. That's the more literal uh, translation. And the word there is, um, it's not a one once-and-done kind of action. All the verbs here actually we're going to go through, all these things God does are these 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 ongoing uh ongoing activity. It's a participle is what it's called, but he does them ongoingly. In other words, he takes all of these things and he feels the burden of the iniquity or the transgression or the sin. And again, it's not just a one-time deal. In contrast, uh, what do we typically do with those things? What do we do with iniquities? Do we openly say, "Phew, that was heavy. Sure, here God, you take them. You don't have to answer that. Because possibly, I think maybe we don't. I think maybe we say, hey, wait a minute, not so fast. You know, I'll take that. I'll carry that on my own. We carry the iniquities of other people. Why would we do that? Well, I just want to bottle that up real quick. I'm gonna just, just going to hold on to it for a bit. I'm gonna, just for safekeeping. I'm going to hold on to that. Um, just in case I need to bring it out at another time. Maybe an opportune time in order to relive it and so forth. Maybe we can go over it again. Maybe I need it to build a case later down the road. So I don't necessarily let God take those. I take them and I'll, I'll hold on to them for a while. But no, our example here, again, I'd like us to, to change a bit, is, is to let God carry them. Whether they be our transgressions or whether they be someone else's transgressions, they're too heavy, okay? Even if you use your legs, I know you lift with the legs, right? Uh, don't, don't carry them anymore. They're not not meant to be carried and stored. So God takes them, and he pardons or bears or lifts them. Moving along in verse 18, next we see that he passes over. This was a word that Dr. Dallaire actually, she was talking about passing over before. It's the same word there, the idea when they were crossing the Jordan or crossing, this idea of passing over, um, that God passes over. Again, ongoingly, he passes over our transgression or rebellion in the sense of overlooking. So when he overlooks it, 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 it's not its not a hindrance to him. It's not a block. It's not something insurmountable. You know, when something's in your way and you can't see past it or whatever? Uh, that's not how God does it. He's actually overlooking it. It's not getting in his way. It's not blocking his view. Again, what about what about us? Do we pass over those who offend us or those who transgress against us? What about our own shortcomings? How do we deal with them? Do we take the high road? Or do we simply kind of just... Is, is our idea of overlooking to sort of suppressing and pushing things down to the point where they just build up and maybe, maybe even explode? Now, I'm not talking about you know tolerating things that God that, that are you know God hates, or I'm not talking about looking the other way when when we when we shouldn't be. What I'm talking about are offenses that we've caused or offenses against us that cause a rift in a relationship. Okay. The context here is in the realm of, of forgiveness, the extent and the reach of God's forgiveness and how we should view it when we're dealing with our own world of offenses. You know, Proverbs 19 is a, is a verse that is, uh, I've had on my mind for the last couple of weeks, specifically Proverbs 19.11, because sometimes I think, you know, we read, we read passages like this in Micah, and we say, well, that's what God does, and you know that's for Him to do, and, and I'll touch on that a little bit, but not necessarily. Proverbs 19.11 says that those with good sense are slow to anger, and it is to one's glory to overlook, same exact phrasing here we see in Micah, overlook an offense. That's Proverbs 19.11. Those with good sense are slow to anger, and it's to their beauty to overlook an offense. In fact, the first part of that proverb, those with good sense or slow to anger, that's actually the next thing that Micah says that God does in terms of forgiveness. He says that God does not stay angry forever. And you've heard I think even uh, I don't remember if it was Michael or, or Chaim uh, this past week said, you know, literally when, it, when you read anger in the Bible, the word is nose, it talks about nose. You can think of flared nostrils or whatever. Um, so literally the text here says that God does not strengthen forever his nose. <laughs> Proverbs nineteen uh, says that it's uh, to a person's beauty if their nose is caused to lengthen. Think about that. If you had a maybe a not a, you know a larger nose, perhaps it's to your beauty to have a long nose. It's exactly what it says. But again, what about us? Do we tend to remain angry, ongoingly, when we're offended, or do we strengthen? Do we strengthen our position? Because that's what it says. You know, it says that that. Uh, um, God does not st- strengthen his, his position forever. Maybe we don't actively strengthen our anger, but do we let it just harden or do we let it calcify or, or fester some? Same idea, really. Do we push things down? Do we seethe? Do we just look to, to, to you know, justify our position? Or do we, at the end of the day, actively look to rid ourselves of anger? That's really the question I'm trying to get, to get to get at, is do we actively try to rid ourselves of the anger we feel when offended? Again, here in Micah 7 and Proverbs 19, it says that it's wise to be slow to anger. And it's, it's again, it's to one's beauty. Think about that. Actually, the word beauty is used there. It's, it's to one's beauty. It's very becoming of someone to overlook an offense. But what exactly that, that means, again, it's not just pushing down and in, in suppressing uh, the biblical author Jacob also known as James he says the same thing with, with regard to this in chapter 1 he says to be slow to quick to listen slow to speak slow to anger same idea the next thing that Micah says is really taking the idea of forgiveness I think a step further because again he's, he's born he has borne things he's overlooked things uh, but the next thing he says, this is the real stretcher for me, and this is the thing that really got my attention when I was reading. I started off just reading some of the Haftorah portions uh, for this week, and this is, what, this is really what grabbed me. And it says that, that he delights, and probably all your translations say delight, because that's what it says, that he delights, his desire, he takes pleasure. He delights in showing clemency. Maybe yours says showing mercy. Maybe it says uh, granting loving kindness. It's the Hebrew word chesed. And if you've been at CYT for any period of time, you know we we talk about that word Chesed, and for us it's the it's the it's you know, God's covenant committed loyal love. But for us, that that idea of Chesed and God's commitment to Israel plays out for us in the sense of we we like to, we have a, a community value of extending Chesed to one another. Someone has a bad day, someone makes a mistake, what have you? Um, we might say, "Hey, there's, there's Chesed for you," and that's kind of our community value. But the question that I have for you is that when it comes to the need to forgive others or to, to uh, overlook an offense, it's one thing to extend chesed, but do you actually take delight in that? You actually take delight in extending chesed, or do you do it out of obligation because the Bible tells us so, and it's a, it's a, uh, it's a covenant value, so I'll extend chesed, but do you take delight in it? Or do you kind of wait for certain factors to happen before you extend the chesed? You know, I, I, want, I want this person to own up first. I want a, a formal apology first. That's kind of what our society does. You know, I want a formal apology then. Sure, then I'll, then I'll extend the chesed. Or perhaps you simply think you know, of chesed or showing mercy as an action where you kind of bite your tongue or you bottle up the offense. You quote Marx, forget about it. But really all you've done is added it to your collection like I talked about earlier that one day is going to be so big that it just can't be ignored anymore and it, it, they can all get brought out and you know, used to justify your feelings and all that stuff or justify about a situation. You know, while we may very well enjoy that, we may very well like to keep our boxes of emails and correspondence, and the, here's, you see the text messages? I've got them still. You know, we have all these things we hold on to. We might enjoy that. We might enjoy, you know, somebody getting their due one day and someone, you know, being brought to justice, and, and, and we might delight in seeing people squirm. Um, the truth of the matter, is, we see here in, in this text, is that God does not delight in misery, but he delights in mercy. He delights in it. And That's a major paradigm shift for us, I think, when we're talking about making things right with our fellow human beings who may have wronged us or that we may have wronged, um, you know, wondering whether they'll forgive or not. I think that's a big shift for us, this idea of delighting in mercy, because people will forgive and will forgive, but will we enjoy doing it? That's a tough one, I think. That's the big stretcher <laughs> for us. Now Micah, uh, in verse uh, 19, goes on to say, in this chapter 7, verse 19, goes on to say that the Lord not o- not only delights in granting mercy, not only delights in granting mercy, or chesed, but that he shows compassion on us. And this is not the word chesed here. This is a different word. This is the word um, that means compassion or mercy. It's it's the word uh, where we get the word for woman's womb, where a baby is born. So you can picture a very safe place, very safe, uh, comfortable place. And if that's not already, you know, delighting in mercy and showing compassion in the face of all these sins, these different transgressions and so forth, if that's not already several uh, orders of, of magnitude above our normal way of thinking, our normal way of doing things, he then says that he will tread our iniquities underfoot. Again, this is a very compact piece of scripture, again, theologically. You know, all this stuff here just contained in two contained in one and a half two verses. It says that he will tread our iniquities underfoot. The picture that the Hebrews giving there is one of, you know, chasing something down to the point of, you just run right through it, run right over it, trample it. You know, that's, that, that's the picture. It's a pursuit. That's a pursuit of it. Okay? It's not just forgiving or, or, or whatever. It's actually chasing it down, trampling it, and trampling it underfoot. And then he says he picks it up and he throws it into the sea, making it unusable and unreachable for anyone. Any one of us. Obviously, he knows where they are. (laughs) But God's example for us is that he's able to pardon transgressions. He's able to pass over sin. He's able to run iniquity down and trample it underfoot. And and then the kicker is to take delight in all that. That's what God's like, and that's what God does. And that's also, again, this is the stretcher for us, the one that stretches. That's what he expects of us. Of course, we can't forgive in this exact way right and that's true to an extent but the fact is is that God does do the heavy lifting as it were he's going to do that hard work but we, we have to he's provided this example and one that we need to have the faith to follow and it's not just encouraged here in Micah or in Proverbs 19 if you were to do a search uh, a concordance search for example uh, on the word for uh, just forgive or forgiven i guess forgive forgiveness would give you a few different things but just forgive you'll find a lot uh, and you'll find some very specific um, teaching kind of passages, certainly in the New Testament. Uh, we think about the Lord's Prayer, you know, forgive those who have who've trespassed against you as God's forgiven you. Luke 6 says, forgive and it shall be forgiven you. Colossians 3.13 says to forgive each other just as the Lord has forgiven you. And these are not isolated. This is, there's I only took a few. There are multiple, many, many more passages. But again, we're reluctant to do this because, you know, who doesn't want to be forgiven, right? But it's that other half of the equation that sometimes troubles us. I think that we, we like to see justice. We don't like to see people get away with things. And when we when people get away with things, when we when we look at these passages and say forgive, overlook, you know, the New Testament um, meaning of that is very similar to this idea of passing over. When you when you see that word uh, forgive and there's passages, I just read the New Testament. It's the same word there, and it's a, it's the word um, that means to uh, to let things pass or to let things go or to send them away um and it's not a matter of things being whitewashed or people getting away with something but the idea is you're sending it's not yours it's not yours to grab and hold on to when you when you're sending away when you forgive when it says forgive as you've been forgiven you're sending them away but not into the abyss where no one's going to know about it you're sending it away to the one who really can trample it Run it down, trample it underfoot, and toss it into the sea. That's the that's the shift in our thinking that we have to have. Because it's not us. We're not the one that can 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 trample down those those th- those sins and throw them into the sea. Colossians 1, 13 to fourteen says that He, this is Yeshua, He has rescued us from the power of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So forgiveness is not a it's not a, uh, a matter that, of like, that we're never going to mess up, or that we're never going to be messed up by things or other people, or feeling hopeless that things will never change between us and, and others. So that we need to re- retreat and build our walls and insulate ourselves and everything. No, we need to we need to take a cue about forgiveness from God, as we've seen here in Micah. We need to take our cue about forgiveness from Him and be committed to the process. That it's an ongoing process, and it's not about severing relationships. Uh, and it's not about, you know, any of that stuff, but it's the, it's, the, it's the idea that we're going to be committed to remain steadfast, like these the way he repeats himself here in Micah, that we're going to remain steadfast, trusting in him, working through things, and allowing him to do the real work of, of healing and forgiveness. So let's pray. Lord, uh, during, during this season of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, we thank you for bringing forward the topics of repentance and forgiveness. And as difficult as they are for us, Lord, we know that you are the creator of these things, and you desire, you desire them for each and every one of us. And on this Shabbat Shuva, Lord, on this Sabbath of return and the Sabbath of turning to you, Lord, we ask that you would help us make the turn towards you that enables us to receive your power in the area of forgiveness. I pray, Lord, that anyone here today that might be struggling with forgiveness, whatever side of that coin that they might be on, Lord, that they would see the incredible magnitude, the incredible capacity that you have to forgive. And that this realization would translate into their ability to follow your example. And I pray also, Lord, that if anyone here has never accepted, as Michael said earlier, your ultimate forgiveness, Lord, the gift of an eternal life with you made possible through the atonement, the atoning death of Yeshua, Jesus. That, Lord, today would be the day that they humbly call out to you and for you to lead them into a right relationship with you, Lord. It's in Yeshua's name we pray. Amen.